Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Redefined. I'm your host, Cindy Stibbard. And thank you again for tuning in this week. And if you have been noticing, I've been making a few changes over on my Instagram page and my website is undergoing a completely new shift. So you are still going to be listening to the same amazing support and podcast guests that come to you on Divorce Redefined, but I am rebranding as the Strength to Thrive by Cindy Stibbard instead. And although we're going to focus on supporting you through divorce, this is going to be a lot more broader in terms of support and inspiration and empowerment for you in a lot of places in your life. So many of you already know my story and what I've been through from divorce and now through the loss of a partner that it only makes sense for me to start to expand into other areas of life where you might need support as well. So we go into relationships here. We go into grief and loss and also divorce as well as parenting, children, all the things that can allow us to show up better in our lives, in all areas. So maybe you are going through a divorce and you need some guidance or inspiration to how to get through it. Maybe you're on the other side and looking for ways to become a better, more evolved human. Or maybe you're just wanting to show up in a different way. Whatever path you are on or stage you are at, my goal and purpose of this podcast is to provide you with information, education, inspiration, and empowerment so you can make the best decisions for you. And you know that I bring you this podcast free of any sponsorships, free of any commercials. I do it strictly so that I can bring you the best support that I can because I know that it truly helps. Now, because of that, I do ask there's one thing that you do for me so that you can help get this out in front of people who need it most. So it really makes a big difference if you can go and follow and rate the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, whether it be Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Apple Music please give us a five-star rating and give us a review because that really makes sure that we can get out in front of the people who need to hear this the most. Now, I'm really excited today because this has been a long-awaited podcast guest that I have been really looking forward to having on. And she's been through some really major life experiences that I am so grateful she is here to be able to share her story, her strength, her journey with us, because I know for sure this is going to touch your heart. This is going to inspire and empower you in more ways than you know. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Ronnie Stevenson. Thanks for being here, friend. Thank you for having me, Cindy. Yeah, I am so honored to truly have you on the show. Ronnie was one of the stars of the Housewives of Vancouver. How many years ago was that now? You know, I think about 10 now. Oh my gosh. I know. How is it that you don't age? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I don't know. Maybe just good filters, you know. Right. (laughs) The filters get better. So we keep looking the same. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Ronnie, it's, I remember, you know, I think you and I spoke a few, you know, years ago, just about many different things and relationships. And then you went through quite a massive loss uh, last year with the loss of your son. And I do have to say that when it all happened, you know, I, I did reach out to an Instagram and sent you a message and having no expectation whatsoever for you to respond. And you so graciously and you know, with such, which such, you know, love and compassion responded and said to me, and I remember this, this message, you said, give me a year. And I want to talk about this on your podcast. So here we are are with this, you know? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I I was thinking we're going into, um, I, forgive me because I get very emotional when I talk about Houston, um, 15 months, so I think it's been about 15 months. Um, and when I say I think, it's because <clears throat> everything has been such a whirlwind, a blur. And it's, uh, you know, some days you just wake up and, and if you get out of bed and you feel like, you know, you put your clothes on and you put your makeup on and, and you uh, presented yourself to the world, you did okay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I know I feel like, you know, my... Um, posts you know I'm smiling in them and and I look happy and sometimes you are happy but underlying there has always been and you you are forever altered you are forever altered you cannot be the same human being um you know I see these posts and I'm smiling and I'm thinking but deep inside I'm not smiling deep Mm -hmm. inside there's always that underlying um missing part of me and that is my child Mm, oh, I know. And you know what? I I mean, I can completely relate now than I think I ever did at the beginning when this all happened for you. And when I experienced the loss of my own partner, you know, this this last five months, I think there's this there's this reality when when you experience loss or grief that is so different than what you would have ever expected. It's one of those things you see other people go through, other people are struggling with it, and you don't truly understand what it feels like until you go through it yourself. And although I lost a partner, I think the the only thing that is worse than that is truly losing a child. And so Let's walk through what that was like for you. And are you are you okay going back to, you know, before it begins? Because I think that a lot of us get into our life, right? We get into our life, we go through the motions, we have all this, we never think that something is going to happen. We never think that we're going to lose life like that. And I know for me, that's what really went through my mind and was a huge wake up call is that we don't even know if we're guaranteed tomorrow. And so it's changed my entire perspective on how I live today. So what was that, you know, walk us through what that awakening was like for you. Um, you mean after I lost Houston? Yeah, or even up until the days of like, you know, we never expect that it's going to get there, you know, and how how life really shifts and how, you know, our whole perspective on life changes in an instant. Well, I think that every parent's greatest fear is the loss of a child. And for some reason, losing a child was so on my mind up 
um, for about a year before we lost Houston. And, you know, that's a whole nother, you know, you know, podcast, I think. But um, a week before we lost Houston, Russell, my husband, and his sister and I were on our boat. And his father was turning 90. And I said, isn't it amazing that all four of his children are still living? And I said, and all three of my mother's children, me, my brother, and my sister, were all still alive. My mom lost her little brother, Ronnie, um, in a tragic car accident when he was 21. Hence, um, I got my name. She was eight months pregnant with me. And I looked at Russell and I said, and all of our children are still alive. And a week later, and a week later. Um, Yeah, it's you, you, nobody's prepared for anything like this. We, it is a, a, the greatest fear of every human being that has um, had a child, and that is to, you know, outlive our children. And until something like this happens to you, I, I think you can kind of sort of comprehend it, but unless you have lived through it and you have walked through that, it is so life altering. And there was a quote that I um, posted on Houston's uh, Instagram page that I created. And this one woman said, you know, they say life never hands you more than you can handle. And she said to this, I holler bullshit. Mm. We can't handle it. We cannot handle the loss of our child. We crawl through the pain on our knees. Mm. And I feel like I have crawled every day Mm -hmm. through pain on my knees um not having houston and it's just been okay so i'm in my office right now and i have this video um you know photo thing that plays i i've uploaded thousands of videos and photos and stuff of houston and our family and I'm watching it right now as we're speaking, and and he's here, and I see him, and you know everybody process uh, processes grief differently. Some people, you know, it's hard for them to look at photos or hear that person's voice, but for me to see video and photo and hear Houston's voice, I feel in some way like, oh, he's still right here with me. So for me, that works, and. Um, so I'm watching him right now as, <laughs> as we're having this podcast. Yeah. And I do really agree with that. I think that that's very beautiful. I think that's how we keep their spirit and their memory and the happiness alive around us. Because, you know, to me, my whole outlook on grief was, it's this heaviness, it's this empty void that you can never, ever fill, but you have to learn how to carry it with you through life and rebuild your life around it somehow and somehow find bits of joy that you can in everyday life as you move through and you're never you're never the same as you once were with that person in your life. Mm-hmm. And I love that you've done this, that you've done this page for Houston, the Houston Legacy um, Instagram page and Houston Stevenson legacy. Is that right? His yes. Yes. And it is a beautiful memoir of him and all of the, you know, experiences and just hearing their voices and keeping their memory alive, I think is such a beautiful part of it. Cause part of grieving is the gift of having loved him and having him love you and having him as part of your life. And I think that is such a beautiful memory to keep. 
Yes. Yeah. I, I think that that um, Instagram page has helped a lot of people, but it's also helped me in my journey and my healing. And um, so it's been a, a win-win in many different um, levels. Uh, creating that page and Houston's website. And now I've, you know, you always feel like you're so alone until mm-hmm. you realize like all of these different moms and dads and brothers and sisters and people have joined that or followed his uh, Instagram page who have also uh, or are also walking the same journey. And, and uh, you know, when it first happens to you, you feel like oh, I'm the only person that this has ever happened to. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that you're sharing that really gives so much comfort to other people who might be going through the same thing. Right. Yeah. And I also think that, um, because I've been very open about how we lost Houston and I feel that suicide has always been such a taboo and such a, um, it, it's just been a, a dark sort of topic that people don't like to talk about, mm-hmm. but in fact, it happens more often than you think. And I don't think for a moment Houston wanted to uh, really leave, you know, this earth at 27. I think he was having an intoxicated, um, depressive moment and he made a a life-altering decision and, or a decision that cost him his life. And it was just the day before I was um, on Martha's Vineyard with my husband off the coast of Boston. And, and funny enough, one of his very last movies was uh, filmed um, on Martha's uh, Vineyard. And it was called A Beautiful Place to Die, of all things. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that, and, that, and that is where I got the news. Um, but, uh, you know, <sighs> sorry, Cindy, I just lost train of thought right there. Because okay. I, uh, my my memory of that moment just started flashing before my eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Anyway, oh, going back. That's right. It was the the taboo topic. I I don't feel Houston wanted to leave. I think that it was a moment, and and I just posted yesterday that I I feel that if Houston could go back and say, "Wow, I dodged a bullet," or "That was close," Houston didn't want to die. Mm-hmm. Houston had life in front of him and he had so much going for him and it it's soul shattering for me and it just breaks me it you know it's brings me to my knees thinking of how much possibility lie before him and his life and that it was cut so short yeah you know I think also with suicide is if Houston would have died in a car accident or if he had cancer or he fell off a cliff or he died skydiving or something, it would be awful and tragic. And of course, loss is loss. No matter how you lose somebody, loss is loss. And and the pain is so horrific and so severe. But to lose somebody by their own hand leaves you feeling like, how did I miss this? Or what did I do wrong? Or, or, was it that bad that, you know, in that moment, he couldn't be here? And you just, you're always left searching um, for those answers yeah. forever. Yeah. And always those unanswered questions that you have that, that will never be answered. You know, and if you could replay the, you replay the tape, you know, what was going on in his mind then and, 
you know, for your situation and and being so close to him, I know how close you two were. Were there signs earlier on that, you know, he might have been struggling this way or that this was even a possibility or, you know, what was really going on when now that you have had some time to kind of look back in hindsight, you know? Yes. Okay. So, you know, Houston, (laughs) there were a few signs and this is where I feel like I beat myself up a bunch. And that is because, you know, he was depressed, but I feel like, you know, I get depressed and I feel like, you know, a lot of, we all get depressed. Okay. Let's face it. We're human beings. We get depressed. We're happy. We're sad. We, you know, go through the gambit of emotions. And I remember, Looking back um, shortly after we lost Houston through hundreds and hundreds of texts between the two of us, and one of them kind of had suggested that, well, he was still alive that morning. And I was like, don't be silly. I'll pick you up in an hour. We'll go hiking. Like, what? Like, what? What are you talking about? And I remember calling my older son and I said, Houston said something um, a little alarming and maybe I'm just overreacting. I said, but, and he said, Oh mom, he said, do you really think Houston would ever do something like that? Do you think Houston would ever kill himself? And I said, no, you're right. Mm-hmm. And he did. Mm-hmm. And, he, and so, you know, I feel like, um, and no matter what anybody says, and I've seen shamans and I've seen therapists and psychiatrists and, and people and spiritual healers and people that have tried to help me through this. And everybody says, you're not that powerful. You did not make this happen. But I still feel as a parent, I had one job. And that job was to keep my children safe and alive. And, um, you know, for the rest of my life, I will always feel like, you know, somehow I missed it. I feel like I missed something. And, you know, then my family say, well, Houston was such a good actor that on any given day, he was the happiest person. And he was always like so upbeat, even though he was depressed sometimes, he would walk through the door and be like, hey, mom, and how are you doing? And, you know, what's for dinner? And my kids, like, even though they were grown, they are grown up adults, they, we spent more time together, all of us as a family. So losing Houston has been absolutely paramount um, for us. And uh, we're very, very close, tight-knit family. We do everything together. My kids used to joke like, mom, my God, how many more family things do we have this week? Right. I mean, but my kids for my life and I was 19 when I had my first son whose birthday was yesterday, just turned 35 and, um, he's really struggling. I think, um, they're still, and by the way, Cindy, you will come to realize that, um, as time marches on, there will be, um, people that all mourn and remember Mike and they will, um, keep him in their memories and stuff. But then there'll be this one core group that grieves with you for a very long time. And, and there is a, a my core group. There's uh, five of us, six of us in that group that um, none of us, we're not flying straight. We're still not flying straight. So yeah. uh, my son, Jordan's one of those people. Yeah. And, and thank you for that because I definitely... Oh, feel that too. And I think that what I'd, I would love to hear what you how you have, have navigated this, but I feel that when something like this happens, it's like everyone and their dog comes out of the woodwork, even the people that, 
you know, weren't the greatest of friends or supportive of you during parts of your life or certain stages of your life. And now they're coming out to almost redeem themselves of, you know, now they're here for support. But soon all of that does wear off and you are left with the core people whose life has also changed since they've been lost. And it's not, you know, we this whole sense of, of empty voidness, there's this loneliness that happens at the beginning, but there's this empty void that is there always now, you know, and it's, of course, I'm going to cry too, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do, um, yeah. of, of how to fill that. And when you watch every, everyone else's lives go back to normal, you think, how can you possibly move on? How can everyone just continue on? Like, how does human life work this way? You know, how can everyone just pick up and be happy and keep going when you're here navigating that that grief. So what was that, you know, life for like for you? I know you guys had family still to navigate and as a mother to be able to god find the strength to continue to show up for those people, to all the people that are needing you as their rock. My god, I mean, how how did you manage to do that? Well, obviously that was um horribly difficult and um I, I'm such an honest person. I think sometimes I'm, I'm also extraordinarily forgiving. So um, to a fault sometimes, but I don't know if you could ever have a fault in forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, a few days after we lost Houston, of course, I'd been hospitalized about three times because my body went numb. Um, I couldn't breathe naturally. So, you know, you're just um, out of it. And, and, and then our, my older son, Jordan, he also had to go to buy ambulance. These were all by ambulance. Um, you know, he, he felt like he couldn't breathe. We're having panic attacks. And I, a few days after we lost Houston, felt um, maybe I, I couldn't be here either. And um, I, I felt I needed to go be with him. And I couldn't live life anymore. And I was never going to be able to put one foot in front of the other. And, uh, and again, that's another long story, but, um, those thoughts did cross my mind and I knew though that I had to be strong for my other surviving children and that they needed their mother and that my husband needed a wife and, and my siblings and, you know, my own mother that Mm -hmm. if, if I, you know, it, it crosses your mind. I, I knew I would never act on it, but I do have to say in a moment there, in a moment, it was like, I, I have to go be with Houston. And, um, and I, and, and I was in the exact same place that Houston died in his home. And, uh, and I said to myself, um, your kids need you. The other kids need you. And, and that, um, that was that moment. That was a very real moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a very natural moment. I experienced that that same thing. I know that desperation of just like, this isn't fair. Yeah. How do I reconnect? You yeah. know, and it was my, I posted about this, I think that you commented on it the other day. You know, I, I didn't want to tell anyone because I'm like, oh my God, the last thing I need is for someone to put me in a psych ward right now for <laughs> suicidal thoughts, <laughs> you know, so I'm not, I'm not going to say anything, but I didn't, I just, I did tell my best friend and she is like, she's like a no bullshitter. She just like looks at you and tells you how it is. And she looks at me and she's like, that is not how you get to him. 
She goes, I know this hurts and I know you want to reconnect, but that is not the path you take that is going to lead you there. And it was like, I woke up like, fuck, you're right. Like you're, you're right. (laughs) It's not, I can't choose to be where he is. You know, that was God's choosing or whatever happened in my situation, Mm -hmm. you know, was, was out of my control and I can't, I won't reconnect with him if I choose this path. Hmm. Yeah, I, I um, actually told a few therapists because I had like a slew of different people I was talking to. Um, and you know what? Apparently that's uh, quite natural. It's, it's a real natural and feeling um, to, like you said, the words reconnect. Yeah. You're feeling like, okay, well, you're gone and I've got to get to you. And that's what I've got to do. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy. It's, uh, this is... You know, your, your journey and, and my journey and, and anybody who's on the same journey, and there's, uh, you know, everybody experiences loss in some way or another, sooner or later. We all will lose somebody if it's a grandparent or a parent or a child or a best friend or a colleague or, you know, whoever it is. But um, to the people, um, and I'm just speaking uh, of my own um, circumstance right now, um, who have lost children. I, my heart bleeds with them and for them and, and anybody who's lost somebody um, by suicide. They used to say um, committed and uh, they don't use that word anymore because um, it was something that had to do something with the church hundreds of years ago and it was committing a crime or a sin. And um, in fact, you know, they didn't really commit anything. They, they die by suicide. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I, I still, you know, wake up sometimes and I, I, I can't believe that Houston is no longer on this, you know, earthly realm and, um, in his, um, you know, he's gone and we were just in Africa and we were driving in the, this great big Jeep and, you know, I I guess it's the older you get and the fragility of life and you start realizing that time is the greatest commodity Mm -hmm. that any of us have. And, and we don't know, like you said earlier, if tomorrow is guaranteed to any one of us, um, driving through Kenya on the safari and, you know, the wind is just, you know, hitting your face and and the wind is going through your hair. And I look up in the clouds and, you know, I'm, I'm crying and I'm, I have tears are rolling down my face and I'm thinking, where are you? You know, where are you? Yeah. And, and, and I know he's there. I know he's there, but yeah. you know, I would really like him here in his human form. And when yeah. people go, well, he's in a better place. Fuck off. His I know is right here with me right now. Sorry. Yes. Maybe he is in a better place. Okay. I get that too. But as a mother, no, his, his better place is, is right here. So, um, you know, everybody, but people don't know what to say. You know, people, and, and they, they all try to say things to make you feel better. And nobody's trying to say anything that will upset you. And I think it's also, people sometimes don't know really what to say. No, that's the thing. I think in grief is that, you know, it's really uncomfortable to hold space for someone's grief. And and as you've gone through it, I'm sure people have thrown out the worst things possible to say. Was there anyone who said something to you that you're like, now that, that's the right thing to say to me right now? Uh, I think pe- a lot of people have said to me, uh, Houston's with you. 
and Houston's with you now. And and Cindy, I have um, I'm extraordinarily spiritual. And Houston, of all of my children, he and I um, used to talk about life after death and mm-hmm. what lies beyond this human experience and what was in the vastness and and the other realm and. You know, I have documented all of the times that Houston has come to me and uh, everybody out there that's going to hear this now might, you know, I might be locked up in a psych ward, but um, <laughs> I, um, I feel I've um, crossed the veil uh, about three times and um, connected with Houston that was not a dream state. I believe it was an actual connection where our spirits actually did connect. And I think he needed... Um, me too. There was one moment where I was actually holding him and touching him and I could feel his skin and I could feel it. It was not a dream. And I whispered, I love you in his ear. And then he disappeared and maybe he knew I needed to say that, you know, and then there was another time where um, I was telling you about that boat trip with my husband and his sister And I was in a room with him and there was a table and there was a piece of paper and a pen and there was like one spotlight on him and one spotlight on me. It was all dark except for these two spotlights and his hair was blonder than blonde and his skin looked beautiful and he was wearing a black shirt and a black blazer. And for some reason, I have no idea why he was wearing red skinny jeans. (laughs) He didn't own a pair of red jeans. He's wearing red skinny jeans. And I looked at him and I said, I can't do this. And he said, I'm sorry. And he hung his head and he hung his head and he went back and forth. And he said, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I said, Houston, if I sign this paper, you're going to be dead in a week. I can't do this. Please, please don't make me do this. And he said, I'm so sorry. And I feel like maybe he was showing me a contract that we had made. Um, And this is just a a deeply spiritual belief that I have. Um, I've read so many books. And again, Houston and I were both very spiritual on this type of level. But um, I I wonder sometimes if that was him showing me something that maybe we had agreed to. And I'm thinking, but I never would have agreed to that. I never, (laughs) I never, never would have agreed to that. But, you know, somewhere in in another life or in another realm, another dimension, maybe, um, I needed this to learn and grow and our family needed this. And, you know, he did post this one thing um, because I've gone through, of course, every one of his, um, his own Instagram things and his stories. Mm -hmm. And on one of the stories, he said something like, I I look forward one day to going and soaring through the cosmos and soaring through the cosmos. Right. And Christy Brinkley, who I followed just was posted something about the cosmos and about how that's such a spiritual realm and um the spirit realm of the cosmos of where you know the souls go and you know when we all die we connect or reconnect and you know that's and and this is such a a sensitive subject because uh religion politics um and and the the taxes whatever you know those things are (laughs) all the things but um every people we all have our own beliefs and we all have our, our own thoughts and stuff around death and and I respect you know everybody's thought process and and um and what they think but I I, I know my own my own spiritual um journey that has carried on with Houston after he's died mm-hmm. and I still have that connection with him and 
and I and I feel and I know that he's still with me and he, and he does send signs and he hasn't been around so much the the second year which by the way I think is a harder year and I hate to tell you that but I think uh, year two is where reality starts to sink in and and the the shock and and all of that where you're just kind of going through the motions yeah. uh, the second year is like that missing person at the table and the missing person in photos. Yeah. And the missing person that's never coming back. So um, that's where, it, it, and you know, they say those stages of grief. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'm never going to get to that stage of acceptance, which is apparently the last stage. But I feel like I, I am at that stage where I have accepted it. And I know, like, I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. He's not coming back in this lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, there still is sadness and pain around that that piece of acceptance too. You know, we can be very logical about accepting that, but there still is that sadness and that emptiness that accompanies that. And I love your spiritual connection because I too believe in all those things that you say, and I've had some pretty incredible experiences with spirit. And although I've also been open to spirituality before, Nothing has really hit at home until Mike passed. And there's almost this desperation of needing to connect. Like right away, I saw like mediums and, and, and you know, spiritual workers. And, and I've changed my entire approach to every day. Like I prayed to him. I literally draw tarot cards. And yes, I draw tarot cards to everyone who wants to hear that. Yes, I do. They're Col- Colette Baron Reads. If you ever know them, they're beautiful. And I you know, call into spirit, learning how to sort of channel that energy, because I do too believe now that we are only just this human body in in this form of, of this spiritual realm. Like we're just this human conduit on this earth to have a human experience, but there's more than that. And I think for me, when people say, oh, why did you see all those mediums? Like, did you give, did it give you like hope? Did it make it give you some peace? And not necessarily because like nothing actually cures this loss of, of feeling that they're gone, but it just gave me this sense of knowing that there is something more, you know, that this isn't all that there is and that wherever he is in terms of that spiritual realm, there is more in that we're going to get there too. You know, how, how is that connected for you and your family is opening up to that, that awareness piece? Okay, well, first of all, I just want to touch on those tarot cards because, <laughs> okay, Houston and I, I, I must have five decks. I mean, I've got a couple in his room. Um, he had his own home, but um, he had a, a bedroom here before he moved out and um, in his early 20s. And uh, I've got a couple of decks there, and I've got a couple of decks in one of my back be- rooms that I um, – uh, one of my rooms that I love to go into and just kind of meditate and stuff. But um, yeah, he loves those tarot cards. And um, so, yeah, when you said that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we liked those things too. Um, sorry, what was your question, Cindy? Well, I, I want to know actually more how this has impacted, you know, your family and bringing it together. Like I know the death of a, of a child can have a huge impact on a marriage. It can either rip a family apart or bring them together. And how do you feel that this has impacted you guys? Well, that's a very good question. Um, first of all, you're in shock. Everybody's in shock and everybody comes together. Everybody rallies, everybody, everybody from Seattle and Los Angeles. I mean, people were flying in, driving in. 
Um, my next door neighbor was generous enough to give us his home. He has five bedrooms. We had uh, at least 20 people here for uh, two weeks, a night and day, day and night. We were all huddled together. So you all come together. And it brought my, my sister, who I haven't really spoke to, uh, a little off and on over the years, like back to being best friends. It brought cousins back together. It brought, um, you know, everybody clings. You cling. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was um, the blame game. And then here here comes the blame game. And, and that was um, the first person I blamed, of course. And um, like I've said, and I'm not going to keep reiterating on it because I don't want to uh, spend the whole time talking about um, the fact that I blame myself, but the first person I blamed was myself. And then I blamed his father, um, his biological father for not being around. And then I, I blamed my husband who I've been married to 25 years. Um, and, and, you know, and then I, I blamed anybody who was ever not kind to him. Look, mm-hmm. what, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. a And um, and then I noticed for a while my marriage uh, took a little turn for the worse because I think I was being extraordinarily unkind um, to my husband that I'm married to, not not uh, Houston's biological father. Um, And I'm sure I would have driven anybody away. So it was I said some awful things. I said some very cruel things. Um, And then in hindsight, I, I realized, wait a second you know what, I got to come out of this. It's, uh, I didn't kill Houston and this person didn't kill Houston. And were, were some people unkind? Yes. But some people are unkind to you every day, Cindy, or, or not every day, but you know what I mean? Somebody might give you uh, an awful look at, you know, in line at Starbucks. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, And then, and then what happened with us was um, we came back together and I started looking at um, how I had been lashing out at, you know, anybody that was on my war path. Of course, you know, you, you've lost somebody. And, and I think it is very common to go, oh, my God, like, oh, well, you weren't really there or you didn't do this or and and you could have done this different and you could have done that different and I should have done this different. And then you get to this other stage because there's all of these stages. Sorry, there's a uh, big truck going by. Uh, there's all of these stages and and then... I don't know how it turned around or, or what the turning point was. I really couldn't tell you. But uh, at the end of the day, it has brought us absolutely closer together. And these things, like you said, either tear marriage. I know marriages who have been completely torn apart by this. It mm-hmm. tears you apart or it brings you closer together. And... And then there was one point, I'm not going to lie, I thought to myself, oh, I can't be with Russell anymore. Oh, my God. Oh, this is so terrible. And, um, you know, then there was part of me that went, shit, I can't take any more loss. Yeah. <laughs> I can't take yeah. any more loss. And now, um, you know, we're getting along and having more fun than ever before. And, um, you know, we, we just, it, it really just, I wish we're not on video right now and I'm just using my hands like as a, we just came back together and stronger than ever. And I always have told my children and everybody in our family stronger together, you know, yeah. We're together. Yeah. And, and partly maybe that was also Houston's plan, you know, seeing how he can bring the family together in the way that you guys needed it the most. 
Well, my brother and my sister and all of my nieces and nephews who are all adults now, all were like, Auntie Ronnie, Auntie Ronnie, Houston has brought our family back together. Auntie Ronnie, look at what Houston has done for our family. And everybody, everybody has said that in Houston's passing has really brought a family that was somewhat segregated very close again. So, you know, I hate to say there's any beauty in Houston's passing, but, you know, that was um, a positive. Yeah, positive for sure. And I think, too, it's a clear indication that you guys had already built your foundation on solid ground. You know, if a family had been building on sand, it's likely that it could have torn it apart. But it just was, it had been hugely tested and it was allowed to rebuild. You know, you you built your castle on on, on solid ground. And that it must feel good for you to be able to have that those connections rekindled. Yeah, yeah. but you know, it's it it wasn't easy. And again, you know, um, touching on your marriage podcast stuff, um, marriage is you know, you're 25 years in. Russell and I, hell, it's been, it hasn't. You know, we've gone through a hell of a lot. We've lost a child. We separated once for three years. Um, there was times, uh, after we got back together, I wasn't certain that it, I think, I think marriage is, you know, yes, we're best friends, but marriage, sometimes it tests you and we're all different people. And, and Russell parents a little different than I parent. I'm, I'm the disciplinarian one. Okay. And Russell's the kind of willy nilly kind of do whatever you want. Oh, you want that? Okay. I'll buy you that. Or you want this? <laughs> oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Like most dads, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> like most dads. Yes. And I'm like, I'm the strict one, but I got this beautiful message from my 17 year old daughter, Charlie, the other day. Um, and she wrote, I almost feel like I got to pull this up. Something like, Mom, I love you more than you will ever know, and I am so grateful that you are my mother in this lifetime. And I was like, wow, you know, and and Russell and I were taking a walk, and I said, you know, at the end of the day, they really start to realize. (laughs) (laughs) You love me more. No. (laughs) Put the work in, you know. Um, But, yeah, my kids, I've always been that that um, I always said I was the parent, Russell was the playmate, but uh, in a fun way. Yeah. And I mean, kids know who they get what from, oh, you know, yeah. and, and they just can't get the same thing from each parent. And so to be able to know, like, he's going to show up in his own way, you're going to show up in your own way, and that you're actually going to compliment each other how you raise your children is really what that's doing, right? Because yeah. you're bringing different sets of skills and love and compassion and connection to the table for your kids to learn a, a breadth of different experiences from people. And I also think with um, my kids, uh, losing a brother um, will, of course, forever shape them and uh, will have changed their life and their life path. And, you know, my brother said the other day, Houston's death, my brother, um, he's one of the, 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 you know, the core group grievers. My brother loved Houston more than everything. And he said, you know, I think I've become a real asshole since Houston's died. He goes, I don't take shit from anybody. He said, life to me is like, you know, I've lost the greatest thing. And my brother didn't have a son. And Houston and Jordan were like his own boys. And and he said, and, you know, Ronnie, he said, I feel like Houston's death has um, hardened you a bit, but also really softened you. Mm. Oh, yeah, I, I see that. I think sometimes I feel like I don't have uh, time for any type of bullshit. And yeah. 
how you see through the crap and you know you know I, I I drive down the street and I was going on the upper levels the other day and I thought you see that tree right there that tree will be there probably long after you're gone and I looked at the leaves and I noticed the beauty and all of the things now yeah. uh, but I do feel like you know Houston losing Houston I'll never ever forget um, being the person to deliver uh, the message to Jordan and mm-hmm. and uh, and I and I was the one who told Jordan and I did tell Charlie and it was absolute uh, Jordan was in Las Vegas and he hit the floor and mm-hmm. I could hear his hands just pounding on the walls and he was um, he was just screaming and Charlie was screaming uncontrollably and the worst part of all is that we weren't all together mm-hmm. I was in Boston Jordan was in Las Vegas Charlie was home so uh, family and friends and people were all you know driving to the house and I had this very horrific long flight in front of me which seemed like it lasted forever um, and Jordan, uh, you know, was making his way uh, through the airport in Las Vegas. And I, I'll never forget that that very moment of um, hearing from Russell, those words, those words will ring through uh, in my ears for the rest of my life. And um, that phone call, the phone call, you know, as a mother, I just think I remember the phone rang. Mm-hmm. And the police went to his daughter's house, my stepdaughter. And I heard Russell say, what? What? And he springs out of bed. And immediately you kind of go, what? What do you mm-hmm. mean, what? And he goes, the police? The police are at your house? And my heart goes into my stomach. And I grab my phone. And I started texting Houston did you have a car accident? Did you have a car accident? Did you? Oh my God. Are you okay? Are you okay? And then he said, what? and then all of a sudden I look, Cindy, I look at Russell and I put my hand out like a stop sign. And I said, no, no, no. I said, if you tell me he's dead, I said, do not tell me my child is dead. If you tell me he's dead, I said, I swear to God, do not tell me my child is dead. And we were in this beautiful little kind of like um, uh, Laura Ashley, Ralph Lauren, little cabin thing. So we didn't have elevators or anything. And I walked out the front door and I, then the moment your body actually goes into shock, you know, people always say, oh, I went to shock or I was shocked or I was shocked to hear this, but real shock, yeah, real shock is um, my voice. I, I, my voice was out. I, I couldn't, my voice, I lost my voice immediately. I, I couldn't talk. I was whispering. Um, my body doubled over um, like, you know, I'd been kicked in the stomach. I couldn't walk straight. And then I buckled down to my knees and I couldn't walk. And, and Russell walked out and he said, he's gone. And that was that. And, and, you know, you've been there and, and you, you lived it. And it is, uh, and those are the, those are the words that, uh, that's it. Your life is forever changed. Yeah. In a heartbeat, you know, in a little heartbeat. Yeah. 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 I remember uh, 
we we had to take a helicopter and a private plane because I I couldn't uh, fly commercial because um, I was out of it. And we were flying. We went to the um, landings or where the helicopters take off, and I fell in the grass. And I had been pretty quiet up until then because I was in shock. And all of a sudden, I just started screaming, screaming, screaming in the grass. I was laying in the grass, screaming like somebody was killing me. And three men ran ran over to me, and they thought Russell had hit me or knocked me down. And they were, what the hell is going on over here? And I just looked up, and I said, my son just died. And the compassion Mm. and the beauty and... These men, these men that worked there at the at the um, you know air uh, place airstrip where the helicopters took off, uh, had tears in their eyes, and they helped me to my feet. And they, I didn't realize, put me in a room. I think they locked the doors, and the pilot was um, communicating with our assistant Anna, and they were going, "Is she on? Is she going to get on the plane? Is she going to get on the plane? Do not let her out of your sight. Do not let her leave. Do not let her walk around." Oh, they were all thinking right then and there it's going to go like do something right yeah. um, so they got me on that helicopter and then from the helicopter we took a, a private plane and I was kind of convulsing to be quite honest and uh, yeah. uh, my body was shaking and and I was uncontrollably shaking yeah and uh, those are the reason I like to talk about it Cindy and the reason I like to bring these things up is because it's all part of the healing process mm-hmm. I I love to talk. And when people say, oh, I'm, oh, maybe I shouldn't bring Houston up. No, no, no. I want to talk about Houston. I yeah. love it when people bring Houston up. I want to talk about Houston for the rest of my life. Yes. Yes. And I love your strength and your courage to share those deeply vulnerable experiences because a lot of us are afraid to to let us to let other people see us in that much pain, you know, but that's what, that's what happens. And that's the, that is the beauty of keeping them alive is we love to talk about these people. And, and it, and I, you posted something the other day and I was like, yes, that's exactly it. It was about how, you know, in life, we we're always trying to chase something else, whether it's like the, the car or the job or the money or the trips or the, the status or whatever it is. And then soon as life goes on, someone else will be in our house. Someone else will be in this world. Someone else will have all these things and our memory will be gone. And it it just put everything into perspective about like what the meaning of life is right now. And when you lose someone, it really puts all of that, those little petty bullshit pieces into perspective. And when you said that, you know, you kind of hardened because you stopped dealing with bullshit. I think that that's just, you got healthy boundaries is what happened is you realized what truly matters in life and what, where we need to put our energy, where we put our love and how important our energy is to protect. And that there are certain things and certain people who aren't going to have access to that anymore because it is that special. Do you remember that post that you posted? Yes, I do. I know it was about three posts ago or so. Um, I have a question for you. Um, and I, I think I might have asked you, but I can't remember. Um, and and I, I don't even know if, if this is appropriate to ask, but um, where were you? Were you with Mike? What? Where were you when you got the news or were you with him when it happened? I, I It's always been unclear to me uh, what, yeah. what you went through. 
And and this is a whole, you know, another story I'd love to get into um, an, another time, but I wasn't with him when he passed, but I was, I found him. And uh, so he, you know, we didn't spend the night together the night before. And that's where I have a lot of guilt of why didn't I sleep over? And we were leaving to go out of town the next day. He was, we were heading Toronto for to Toronto for his pro bodybuilding competition. And then from there, we were heading to New York. But we had just finished up a, a really busy week with our kids. I still had like laundry to do. I still had to pack. I still had some work to be done. So I went over for dinner, had dinner with him, and he was super tired and wasn't feeling really good and wanted to go to bed. His his heart had been acting up that week and it hadn't been acting up before. Um, and so we just chalked it up to, you know, this is, this is hard prep for you before this competition. And your coach says, get as much rest as you you need, you know, like I'm coming back in the morning and we're heading to the airport at six. So why don't you just get a good night's sleep and I will go home, get my shit done and I'll be back to get you in the morning. And so the next morning he was up and, you know, doing his thing. And, um, it was so crazy because I was kind of taking my time, but, you know, getting myself ready to leave, having my coffee and this, this feeling at the back of my mind said that something's wrong get over there. Something's wrong. And I'm like, Oh gosh, don't be crazy. Don't be silly. Like he just hasn't answered back on his text. Like, you know, it's fine. And then immediately I just thought, just go over there, just go and, you know, go over early. So I went and I found him on the carpet and by then his heart had stopped. So I had to do CPR. I was on the phone with 911 as they were trying to get to me and to him and walk me through this. And it was one of those things where I thought, okay, so we're not going on this trip, but we're just going to be in the hospital. I got to cancel everything. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, we're just, we're just going to have to get through this piece. Not negotiating out of my head that I knew he had already gone. I knew he was gone. The way that he was looking up at me, I knew that his soul was not in his body, but I was just desperate to like, not believe it yeah. and finding him there. And yeah. it was, you know, it's, it's not something that. I feel is, has sticks with me too much, but it is a memory that I have still and it's trauma and um, there's a guilt, of course, with all of that. But I think there wasn't much I can do. Kind of like you, like I couldn't have saved him. There was nothing that I would have been able to do that would have prevented what happened, you know? And so I have to give myself permission to not, not put it on myself because it was happening. And I'm just grateful that it happened at home, that it didn't happen on the plane, that it didn't happen in New York when I had to deal with all of, you know, that, that he passed at home. So, you know, there's a whole other like series of podcasts that you and I could do on all this stuff. (laughs) Um, I just wanted to end by saying, um, you know, uh, I should have started by saying this, my heart and, and prayers and thoughts and my heartfelt condolences are with you, Cindy. And, and I know what you're going through and, uh, I'm just a little bit in front of you. That's all. Yeah. And me with you, you know, this kind of eternal connection of people who have lost someone who is just not here in their physical sense anymore. But I do commend you for your courage and for your honesty and for your vulnerability and to really just be truthful and raw through every step of this journey. There was a lot that we could have gone into today, a lot we didn't get to. And I hope that we can have this conversation continued another time. But thank you for being here and for, you know, showing us all you because we really appreciate it and we love you. Well, thank you, Cindy. And um, I love, love, love your page and everything you're doing um, with Mike and now after. Thank you, Ronnie. Fabulous job. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for being here. Okay. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week.